Welcome to the Nixers podcast. This episode is brought to you by... I'm Fire. I'm SSH Bio. Hi, Mark. Hi. And Vinam. And today's episode will be about distro hopping. We're going to define distro hopping, discuss information gathering, and the process of switching from one distro to another. And we'll start by defining what is distro hopping. So I've always thought that uh, distro hopping is the act of moving from one operating system to another. It, we, I suppose people use the term distro just to, you know, say, oh, from one Linux distro to another because something is wrong with the other one. But it really applies to any operating system. Um, and I think it could be for any number of reasons, to be honest. Uh So what do we think those reasons are, guys? Well, if you've never used Unix before and you want to try it, if you want something new and you taste, or you got that feeling of discovery and you want to go into uh, wild lands. Uh, System D. System D, yes. That's always a good one. I I suppose we could add... uh, uh, What, uh, not agreeing with certain design decisions after you've learned more about the distro? Or learning more about Linux? Yeah. Starting from user-friendly distro, like even starting from Windows, from most people, including me. And starting slowly to learn about Linux until you can leave user-friendly distro to take a, a real distro. Oh, a real and, and distro. Quotes. And quotes. quotes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so... Uh, what, what do you think... What distros did uh, everyone start with in here? Just for example, you know, when you first moved to Linux. Because I, I started with Arch to begin with. Excellent I, question. I started with... Um, I think it was Ubuntu 11.10 in VirtualBox. Ah, so you did use VirtualBox after all, Arch. That was in 2011, so I wouldn't... <laughs> also, also, my dad installed it. Oh, but... Oh, it doesn't count. I also did start in 2011. I installed, like, Ubuntu on Windows, I think it was called. And then uh, it breaked up, and I had to install something else, and I, I switched to, to Ubuntu, and then uh, I moved to Arch, and then... Parabola, and then Debian, and then something else, and something else. And... Oh my god, we've got a serial distro hopper here. Well, I mean, the first distro which I installed on actual hardware was, I believe, you got to 12.04. 12.04, yeah. When did you first install Linux, then, Ark? Sometime in er, um, late 2011 or early 2012. Wow, you, you must have really started young then with, with Linux, because I only... Uh, I only installed Arch at the latter end of 2014, I think, because I had been using Windows forever. Like, I was, a, I was a massive Windows fanboy. I would have never guessed. Really? Really? Oh, yeah, because I, I used to game quite heavily, in fact. So I was thinking, yeah, Windows is the best. So, But slowly I, I discovered Linux was the right way after all. SSH Bio, how would you define distro hopping? Um, for me, distro hopping was uh, changing many things distro in a quite short amount of time. Like, one not where you want to explore distro. Because I do this uh, time to time, like, to discover many distro. Like, 
one thing I, I helped mention about and this truth to, to try what was working. <laughs> the way I would define the straw hopping is how I, I did my grammar mistake on IRC. I wrote this through hoping. Like you uh, hope you hope for something. You want to explore for, for new horizons. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah. But also I would I would call this through hoping there are different kind of hopes, like you hope for discovery or adventure or you hope for a solution. Oh, I think we've all been uh, in the solution one far too many times. Where something on your other system just doesn't work the way you want it to. For me, it was very bold. Okay, so let's move on to how do you gather information about distros? Distro watch. Distro watch. You know, I don't think I've ever been on distro watch. I think I think I I'm. N- I just like I once. I think in like 2013, I just was on there for an hour pressing the random button because I was bored and I never saw it again. Yeah, I think I read like one article from them because they do their like uh, installing, like they install a distro and then they write about it uh, and then they like compare it to, you know, how how, how something worked. Because I remember reading an article about, uh, what's that one called? NixOS? Uh, I think I, I read one about Herd as well about a few months ago. So that, yeah. uh, I think I think those are very, very good. I, I think some people have definitely uh, gathered some information from those and used it. It's mostly a, a database. Yeah, it's, it's handy. I mean, but if you're not aware of, of Linux, let's say you're coming from a Windows world, uh, yeah, so is it is it really the best source of information? Because like like we just had in a, a previous conversation, uh, most of I mean at least two of us in this room installed Ubuntu first, for example. So I think you know um, Ubuntu dot com was definitely a source of information for people there. You know the distro's website in the first place is very handy. Yeah, for the philosophy, what they propose. Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I suppose definitely Distro's website, like we said there. Because um, that will always if have, you know, the latest and greatest information. Go on, Ark. If your Distro has a handbook or an FAQ or whatever, please read that. Yeah, I think, I think we've all seen some, some newbie person come into an RC channel that's... Uh, Asked a very simple question. Um, what distro do I use? What distro do I use? <laughs> What's the best distro? But, but is there it is. It's <laughs> Targento. Yeah. I, I think people distro hop as well because um, there's no real best distro. I, I think they all have their own different, you know, niches and purposes. But. Uh, we're gonna link and the so and the show notes. We're gonna link the best distro. So please check the show notes. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert! It's gonna have Crux on it. That's the best distro. Don't forget the S best distro. Okay, so so how would I go about information gathering about distros? First of all, distros are for different tastes. That's the magic about Linux. Like there are such varieties of things. Uh, if you want a small dice distro or an, an embedded system, you want tiny core or a Raspberry Pi distribution, then uh, you just can 
you do your, your research on a search engine and you you get the information and you choose what you want and you have other kinds of distro like weird stuff like weekend project that people have like suicide linux hannah montana justin bieber linux Hannah you know Montana those kind. Yeah. So you, you, you just you just read a bunch of articles online. You you inform yourself, and and then you probably if if it's if it's suicide Linux, you want to try it on a virtual machine. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, suicide Linux. G- gonna link that in the dis- in the in the show notes. So if anyone want to try it, I don't think I don't think suicide Linux is a distro. I think that was a Debian package. Uh, I. F- I think you are both right. I think it was a distro and a and a package. I think I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'll, but I'll, I'll link it in the show notes and people will see. Yes, they must see the wonder of Suicide Linux, the beauty of it. Then again, how would go about information gathering before I... the the hop? I, I, I would check the official documentation because it's it's a. Oh, yes. It's an it's an indicator of how much the distro is liked by the people. If there's yeah. a community around it, or if there are packages, or if it's old, if it's up to date, if it's rolling, uh, if it's BSD or Linux, if it's if it's on end testing, or if people can really write packages easily, Th- those kind of stuff. That that's what I do when I, I gather information for distro hopping. Yeah, I think I think. Uh... Amount of, the amount of documentation and, and not just the amount the quality of the documentation can play a good part in whether you're you know attracted to a distro because I think that's the reason so many people are drawn into Arch when they've had uh, their first taste of Linux is to it's because of how good the Arch Wiki is um, in the amount of documentation it does provide um, and easy to understand documentation especially for beginners. Uh, that definitely uh, helps people draw people in. I'm pretty sure everybody uses the arch with me. Yeah. But, yes. Uh, yes. But there, there are, yeah, the arch book is is that good. It, it has become a, a definite resource, regardless of what you're doing for you know certain applications. Like uh, I I read the uh, arch wiki to install Mumble, for example, today. Um, but yeah, there's. Uh, I I definitely think community plays a big part in um, distro Some... hopping as well. Now another thing I check uh, before hopping and my information gathering quest, I check hardware support. If I have a legacy device or if I need to boot from a floppy disk, you know, I, I need a, a, some specific distro. I can't boot anything from a floppy disk. Well, thing is, if you're on a sane distro. And, and it's Linux, then you're probably already covered. As long as your hardware is supported by the Linux kernel, then distros typically will not ever ship their own drivers with it. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to, like, install proprietary NVIDIA drivers at all, but... Yeah, um... At, the only really problem with hardware support is if you're trying to install a BSD. Yeah, I, I, think, I think hardware support on Linux has gotten much, much better in the past decade than it was previously. Especially with wireless cards. Um, but, I mean, even if something's non-free, um, you can grab all the firmware sources um, for, like, the Broadwell wireless chips directly from the kernel website as well. Um, so, yeah, I think hardware support does play a big one. Um, Actually, is there a list, like, a, 
I, I never seen that like the list of devices supported. How where do you find it online? Uh, I seen it for a particular distro, but not for Linux in general. No, you raise a good point there. I don't think I've ever seen a list of all hardware supported by X operating system really apart from because you, you just have to presume that as it's you know like a, a general operating system it will work on anything really on any x86 machine so i've seen it for arc and for ubuntu only like just a web page on the wiki or maybe the, the yeah yeah maybe, is open. maybe maybe those those details were the stuff that they compile into their kernel by default for example because um, when you ship a, a distro build, a distro kernel rather, um, you have to try and cover everyone's hardware in in that kernel build. So that could be the stuff that that distro supports specifically on their general uh, dis, uh, kernel builds. Um, typically, distros, at least the ones that I that I've used, like if you ever like if you install Arch and Arch for kernel ends with dash Arch. That is the generic Arch kernel, which means it has next to everything, except yeah. maybe like tiny things like 9P support or something like that, which by the way it does have, and um, all that does. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's just important for generally when you're distro hopping that your stuff will just work. I think that's a big part in installing some distros where... Uh, you know, the kernel build is old or something like that and something on your system just doesn't work correctly and you think, oh, well, I can't be bothered with this distro anymore because it doesn't come out of the box with stuff that is supported. My hardware isn't supported out of the box, so you, you might just skip over it. But yeah, you're right, Venom. I don't think I've ever really seen a fully supportless Especially because I think kernel development moves so fast, it would be hard to keep such an accurate list updated all the time. That would be a, definitely a full-time job. Yes, well, I mean, at least for OpenBSD, when I installed it, I did, when I visited the page for at least wireless support, I did, there was a definitive list of this card is supported, this card is not supported, this card is, this card isn't at all. So. Oh, right. Yeah, because I know on the... Um... I guess you could just try to cursively check the, the, all the for all the drivers. Uh, yeah, I think... Um, I mean, if, you, if, if the distro that you're installing is... Um, uh, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, you just get put into a blank console. Um, if you know what you're doing, you can easily test whether your hardware is being seen by the kernel, for example. That's always handy to check. Um, no, but I think, just going back to Ark's point, um, yes, I, I'm happy that, to hear that BSD does have that, that list, because isn't uh, NVIDIA card support very sketchy as well on certain BSDs? NVIDIA, I believe, is only supported on three BSDs, but that's be- and that's because NVIDIA actually has a proprietary driver for FreeBSD. So, uh, so they, they don't... That. Wow, so none of the other BSDs have support for NVIDIA, pretty much, because NVIDIA doesn't provide it. Yep. Ooh. Wow, I guess I'm not switching to BSD anytime soon. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just very lucky that I, have just, that I have the exact hardware I have, because when I bought this, I installed... This, when I bought this laptop, I installed Ubuntu on it, and I didn't even have BSD in mind at all. 
And so I wasn't an idiot, though, so I bought a hardware of a decent support for next everything, and thankfully, that ha that made me able to land on OpenBSD. So. Yeah, I think if you're just running Intel, it's, it's no issue. I mean, I think on Linux now, the only... I think I mentioned this earlier, it's really wireless cards. That's what you need firmware for now, you know, if you get a laptop with a non-free wireless chip. Wireless and graphics. Yeah, those Basically. those those seem to be the big ones. Um, if you're on Linux or BSD or whatever, Intel is almost always your best bet, even though they are not very good. And Broadcom is your enemy. Oh yeah. And Broadcom, Broadcom. is your enemy. Yes, Broadcom is always the enemy. I actually think there was a discussion. I think it was in 2000 and somewhere in the two that late 2000s, but um, a OpenBSD developer tried to make a driver called BCW, and they got and it got removed from the source tree because they got a very apparently they claimed it wasn't threatening, but it was quite angry email that said that it was by a developer of the original driver that it was a GPL violation. So. Oh, that's that's pretty terrible to hear, really. So yeah. So so one of the drawback of testing in a virtual machine is that the wireless in a virtual machine you can't test it, nor the video cards. No, this is yeah, yeah, definitely you can't test whether. But you you've still got get, that hardware support. You still get the grasp of what the distro is, and if you want to test stuff like on the software side, not the hardware side. Yeah, see what it comes with, you know, kind of out of the box, what makes it different from other distros. Let's say you're testing, I don't know, three or four distros, spinning up a virtual machine for each could be very, very handy. Instead of, you know, going through them sequentially, you could spin up virtual machines for all of them at the same time and see how they all perform differently with the same kind of thing. So, so. So basically, if you but but also a virtual machine is good when you don't have the hardware supported by the distro. For example, if you want to test a Raspberry Pi distribution and you don't have a Raspberry Pi, you can still test it on a virtual machine. So oh, it gives yeah. you the the overview of what 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 you you will have on your yeah, so, your so, real hardware. So if you are like planning to buy a Raspberry Pi or I don't know another you know chip board of that ilk ARM um, device embedded e device yeah yeah you can easily um easily test it out definitely and what it comes with and getting set up yeah virtual machines definitely are very handy and which 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 vm would, would you recommend we have qmu virtual box vmware i think um i think virtual box is the easiest for definitely the easiest to get into I think I think QEM is probably better, but a little bit harder to figure out on the first time round. Well, yeah, I prefer QEMU by far, but I, um, if I were just telling somebody to use a VM for some something, I would tell them to use VirtualBox because QEMU is mostly like open a command line, then do a bunch of launch flags at all. So yeah, definitely. Uh, it just. Any any disagreements in this channel about that? I would still use uh, VMBox, VirtualBox. Ah. Yeah, I, I think if you just distro hopping, if you're not looking to set up something um, more long-term to do a certain task, then definitely VirtualBox for distro hopping. I have Vagrant 
uh, we're using Vagrant at work and uh, uh, it opens a SSH connection with VirtualBox in the background so you don't even know it's running VirtualBox but without uh, a head so it doesn't have a graphical uh, environment. Yes, yes, so it just dumps it in the background processes. I have been meaning to check Vigrant out actually. You might have just inspired me, Venom. Okay, so we discussed we discussed testing. So how do you go about doing the real jump? You want to try the distro? You go on. What do you do? Uh, um, distro. Uh, yeah, go on, go on. Uh, for me personally, now I just uh, get a USB drive, um, plug it in, and DD an image all over it. And normally I get the image from a torrent. Now um, I, I think torrent's probably the best way to quickly get a, vi- a file. Because everyone's seeding it, so and you're not you, you don't have to worry about you know oh crap their website's down I can't download the image either, so I think torrents are definitely the way to download an image. Now, depends on what connection you are on, and if you're on a restricted network like I China. Uh, yeah, I think I think apart from those kinds of concerns, I definitely say I definitely recommend uh, using a torrent client to download. The, the the image that way, it's far easier. Um, there's less likely to be downtime. Well, there's going to be no downtime pretty much, and it, you're probably going to get the file faster as well. So, I don't think there's really too many negatives of using torrenting unless you know you're being restricted by you know your ISP. I guess also you don't have to worry about checksum. So if the image has been tampered yes. along the way? Yes, exactly, because uh, it, will, it will verify all the uh, pieces that it gets uh, with everyone else to make sure all the pieces are correct. Distributed of the dis- website giving it, sometimes they don't, uh, they don't have Tor and having a project on GitHub, you have to build it. Oh, mm. Sorry, could you just say that again for me, Venom? It was just cutting out slightly. Uh, torrents won't always be the the only available source for a distribution. For example, oh. if someone has a, a project on GitHub and it's it's not downloadable directly, you have to build it to. It's a from scratch thing. Oh, well, yeah, I, I suppose that's true. But I think I think in you know ninety five percent of cases, I think torrents are probably going to be the best as as long as you you know you're familiar with torrenting or you you know you have a web client. To be honest, I'm actually surprised web browsers. I, this is a feature I would like to see in a web browser is an inbuilt torrent manager with what, WebRTC or something. Yeah, but no, but actually have it inbuilt into the the browser itself, not just, oh, not just like a, a web client or a web interface to, you know, a backend daemon, just have it inbuilt oh, yes. from the get-go in the browser, because... There's probably an extension for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but e- even then, that probably opens up a kind of daemon-type co- connection to something, probably, or it will probably be very hacky. But yeah, I should look at that. That would be a cool feature. The web browser is still the, the first way we we try to get the distro. There is nothing like a curl <laughs> from an email. Hey, the, the distro has this address. You, curl. you, you always use the browser. But sometimes we don't have a, a 
there was one time I didn't have access to a web browser and I still have to, to download a, a distro somehow. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think if you just have the if you have the direct uh, Im- image link, then it's probably very easy to get it over curl or wget, for example. Yeah, that's another. No, no I don't think about that use case. Or, or if you boot from the BIOS, because there are ways to boot oh. from the BIOS and install the distribution. Yes, net installs as well. We're gonna link that in the show notes. You could, sometimes you can even order a CD ROM um, with, <laughs> with the image. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I remember. I there was a thread on Reddit on our Linux a couple of days ago, um, where people were literally comparing um, how old a distribution like the CDs that they had gotten from, you know, various places over the years and and try to see whose was the oldest or, you know, most exotic uh, CD that they had gotten. I, I suppose because uh, of how fast internet speeds are getting now and how small image distros are, really, I mean, I think Ubuntu's image is just over one gigabyte now. Not enough to fit on a DVD, but most Linux distros will still fit quite handily on a CD, for an example. So, yeah. Okay. Anyone wants to add something about the download process? I shall download it. You download it. There, there we are. That's that's the way you do it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So after downloading it, okay. then you want to switch to it. If you uh, want to use it as a daily daily thing, how do you move your dots? It's not the subject well, of this um, podcast, but basically we have to say something about it. Um, well, for me. Oh, for you. Yes, Ark? Okay, okay. So for me, I just... Well, I already had... Like, when I first installed Coupon 2, I just... And this was a horrible idea, but I just shoved everything on one big root partition... And then when I installed Arch later, I um, actually corrected my partition layout and made a proper home. So, partition. And from there on out, I used the same home partition and kept the same dots on that home partition until I went to OpenBSD when I literally just shoved everything on an external drive and then copied it back when I installed it. Yeah, I think having a separate home partition is is very very handy because um, you you can easily easily distro hop then. Um, but uh, for other things like dots, I'm I know people will normally like just say, "Oh, just use a GitHub repository, you know, a GitHub account." And I think that is a good good way. But personally, now I'm I'm more of a fan of using something like RSync to just back it up to a, a USB or some other network connected device, and then I just copy files over that way. And what's nice about RSync is that you you have a flag that it doesn't recopy the things that are already yeah. there. Yeah, Delta syncing. Definitely, that's the main feature of rsync. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think rsync is always a good one if if you're used to it already uh, to use rsync. I use it to sync my personal website. Okay, so my thing with dots, I have a huge issue. Like when you switch from distro to to distro, sometimes you don't have package compatibility, and the dots might not be the dots file might not be compatible. So, for example, I had the, the, my Vim configuration on Arch, and I switched to Debian. 
Deep and Jesse, and it wasn't compatible. Ah, uh, was it was it an older, older Vim version? Or ZSH, I think. Ah. Uh, ZSH two. Yeah, that that can that can be a pain because I think this is something I discovered more so with my shell configuration more than anything was that I I was tending to write out my shell configuration just to work on my machine. And then when I finally got, Oh, a a VPS in the cloud, I got a laptop. um, I got raspberry Pi. When I, when I got all of these things, I I suddenly realized, ah, I need to make all of, all of my dots much more modular to make sure, you know, any system I get, these will work on without, you know, too much tinkering um so i think i think if you've got uh just one machine it's maybe okay to go that lazy lazy approach but i definitely think you have to think about organizing your dots in a far more constructive manner when you have multiple machines you know multiple different machines that all run different types of linux or unix or whatever you want to run on them with local dot files and global dot files yeah by the time dot file gets stronger as you switch distro, <laughs> more reliable. Yeah, the list gets longer and longer. Definitely. Um, so, and especially what's going to definitely break, if you ever decide to go to a BSD, then if you ever write a script and it uses something like SEC, you are screwed because SEC is actually not POSIX and I noticed oh. that when I moved to BSD, a lot of my dot files broke, a lot of my settings broke, a lot of my WM util scripts broke until and then yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah so shell, shell compatibility is a big one as well. There's also the fact that the the config might not be in the same location, so you might not find yes, it. Yes, by de- by default. Um, but that would also this is also another thing about switching distros is that I found it very very annoying. And I switch distros, and I think, ah, I need um, X piece of software, and I type in the command to install that piece of software, and then it, and then it gives me the line of, oh, piece of software not found because I don't actually know the actual package name for it, because everyone, everyone names their packages differently for some reason. It's really annoying. So yeah, that's always a fun one. Okay, so we had that thread on Nixers called uh, Switching from Machine to Machine. And we, we were discussing uh, how people handled uh, moving dot files and files around. And basically inside the thread, we, we came up to the conclusion that everyone had messy solutions. Yes, I think, I think that's the only conclusion you can really draw from this. Because I know um, Jero uses... Um, Zero? Yeah, that's how you say it. Um, uses Stow to manage his dot files, and I'm just thinking, oh my god, no. But that means I have to install a piece of software to actually make my dot files all work. And that's... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a perfect solution except what works 99% of the, of the time for you. I'm going to link that thread in the show notes if someone wants to read it. Um, for me, I personally, I use Stow. I have used Stow for the last few months, and thing is, it's almost always just like if I. It's really convenient if you clone your own dot files repo after not making a backup, 
because then you can just like stow ZSH or stow KSH and then it's instantly there. So, and that's the main convenience for for me at least. Yeah, it's so easy. Like once once you've got it working, finally, it's it's what whatever method you go for. For me, I, I just use a, a make file and a, a and a just shell script um, to to get my dot files all launched up in, in the correct places that they need to be. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Stowe's an okay solution. And SSH Bio, I think, had this, had a script for it, which we might want to put in the show notes, but it's pretty... Yeah. It, what? It's pretty, pretty, pretty. Go on. Ah. Doesn't matter. I guess we'll link it in the well, show I notes. Don't, I don't know how to end that sentence. After <laughs> bio. Yes. Um, so anyway, we, we've kind of gone a little bit off track here. With um, you decided to install the distro. Um, what kinds of software do people use? I mean, uh, to actually get the image onto the USB or whatever you're using, or a CD or a DVD. Because nowadays, I, I tend to just use DD. Um, but I know for a lot of people, especially if you're starting out, um, that actually getting the USB, uh, getting the image onto the USB and then actually boosting can actually be quite tricky sometimes. There's that software called USB Creator GDK that uh, installed the image on the USB. plus. Yeah, because the... I'm familiar with more of the Windows ones, but I'm less familiar with the Linux type ones. I, I've never really used them. I've, I've just always used DD. So it installs the grub on the USB, so you can boot from it. Yeah. Well, normally the image will come with its own bootloader. But yeah, if you wanted to make a persistent USB, you could do that, I suppose. Okay. Anything to add about the distro hopping? So we wrap that up. Wrap that up. Yeah, I think I think we're pretty much done on that particular well, bit. Thing... Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, now it's the part Just of the podcast. Oh, oh, it's the part of the podcast yeah. where uh, no, no, SSS Bio has something to say, yeah. Venom. Just, just one thing about uh, compatibility with why distro. If you can compile software, if you're in a binary distributed distro, you can you can compile software. Um, what do you? Uh, if you have something that isn't compiled, compiled the way you want without the life, you still can compile it. On your own, switch this. And learning to this give a autonomy on to switch this to any major issue. I like this way. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Oh, obviously, there are source based distros. So. Yeah, source based distro versus binary based distro. But even on the binary one, it's possible to compile it and overcome uh, compiler problems. Bad hardware, or like if you run, and especially if you're like on a Raspberry Pi, I would never run a source-based distro on anything that is underpowered. No, oh. but I think I think it all de- depends on the scope of the stuff that you're compiling for, really. Because on the Raspberry Indeed. Pi, what 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 do you really need? Okay, you might you need your core utilities, obviously. That's kind of what you expect. Um, you need you'll need your kernel. But you could compile a kernel on another machine, for example, pretty easily, and then just copy it over. And then right. for other, other um, then for anything well, else, 
That's if you're not, like, trying to compile a kernel for a Raspberry Pi on a laptop, because then what you gotta deal is compiling it for a different architecture, which... Cross-compiling. Well, why not? Cross-compiling is fun. It's not fun when you get the cross-compiler. It's not as fun, at least. Fair enough. <laughs> well, each to their own. So we're gonna move to the last week... Uh discussion we discussed about what we did last week if people had question about the previous podcast basically the previous podcast was the introduction so we had question like what's that key for on the podcast that mixers.net the key is for the schedule we schedule the the, the week after yeah so basically uh, people were just asking that and how to listen to the podcast if you want to listen to it just go on the thread and it's going to be linked later on okay so after the last week section, we discuss what we did this week. Personally, what did you learn this week? Ooh. Ah. Basically, this time I hoped this truth. <laughs> yes, SSH Bio has been going, has had an undertaking of trying to find a distro that works for him this week. Yeah. What, what did you? You've you've finally settled on Alpine, haven't you? Yes, 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 I, I'm on Alpine now. That's not the easiest distro to configure because uh, there's basically not that many things for desktop use. It's more like uh, server-oriented. So if he was systemd eating uh, like 90% of my CPU only on Arc distros, and I didn't want to, to go to Ubuntu, so I digged a little on all of RC run it uh, or in its system so that we don't cause issue. And I found a, a nice uh, a nice website called wizardsystemd.org with a dash between wizard and system. And that has a very good thing in it. How's the community around it? Uh, around uh, Alpine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's basically not that many things, but uh, they're still better than Linux. <laughs> Most info I get it from Arcuki anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I run Alpine on my DPS at the moment. I'm planning to swap it to. I'm trying to switch it to OpenBSD later, but I'm too lazy. But Alpine's community, when I have interacted with it on the Alpine Linux channel on Freenode, it is quite small and helpful. So there's that. Yeah. I'm the correctest community. I, I think I definitely, if we're just talking about IRC channels, I definitely prefer um, a smaller, tighter community than um, a, a larger one, like um, Ar- Arch's IRC channel is massive with the amount of people in there, or, or there's the, the Ubuntu one as well, that one's massive, I think that's the biggest channel on Freenode actually, um, where they get very busy and it's hard to form like a, a close-knit community or you, someone who answering your question you've never met before or you've never talked to before or anything, so... Now, something I definitely enjoy about the the Crux RC channel, for example, is because the developers hang out on there, obviously. Um, but everyone pops in and says, "Oh, anyone got an idea of what to do here?" And you know, everyone chimes in, and then you know, if you have an issue, they chime in and might have the solution, and you just get to know people that way, and it's really friendly. I like that. And that's even for larger projects. It's really how the it's really what I've noticed is that depending on what the operating system claims to do, 
for what it claims, then you're going to get a different type of community. Like the as an example, the OpenBSD is community is it's pretty big, but you can still have that kind of thing because the it's you can still really kind of have that you meet people and you get to know some people through like IRC or the community because it's and whereas yeah. like the arch community you have people who would say don't really know what they're talking about which I've noticed with a lot of, yeah but <laughs> so so the distro re- the distro reflects their personality yeah 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 I noticed it for open BSD and old BSD as well maybe that's because Linux is a bit mainstream for open source distro, and if you want to go for OpenBSD, it's maybe a, a choice that you make. OpenBSD may then grow people that choose this group because they love it. Maybe it's a tribute to it. Okay, so what did you do this week, Fear? Fire? Sorry. Uh, I actually haven't done too much this week, um, especially not with distro hopping or anything. Um, I had to compile Qt5. I'd, I had been avoiding it for ages from installing it on my system, but I had to finally give in um, because I had to install Mumble for this week. So I had to use that. Uh, what else have I been doing? Um, working on a couple of personal projects uh, some of you may be familiar with. Um Committed a few things to MPVC, which I hadn't actually committed to for over two months. And then this guy started giving me pull requests for it. So I thought, oh, actually, I've got tons of stuff to do with this. So that's that's progressing nicely. Um, but yeah, I, ha- I haven't been up to too much, really. Nothing exciting in terms of distro hopping or anything like that. So just ticking along, really. Yeah, MPVC was a a cool project, a nice idea. Yes, it is a very nice idea. It's also a very practical idea. Uh, I use it pretty much all the time now for media. Uh, it's very, very handy. Can you explain to it, so if anyone's listening, you uh, going to yes. know about it? If you're not familiar with it, um, MPVC is kind of a implementation of... Uh, if you're familiar with MPD, the Music Player Demon, it had a really kick-ass um, command line called MPC, and it was very handy because you could bind... Um, so, for example, if you're using like a hotkey manager or something to do with your window manager that allows you to bind commands to keys, uh, you could pretty much combine any key combination to any MPC command. So, basically, I wanted that to work, um, I wanted that kind of power, but for MPV um, instead of MPD. Um, yes, all the all the ac- free letter acronyms are very confusing about now. Um, but, uh, the remote control. Yes, the remote control is basically the uh, gist of the idea. Um, we can link that in the show notes. Yes, yes, if you're interested in that, you can... I'm going to link that. Definitely see that in the uh, show notes. Um, but now it's got a nearly complete MPC compatibility layer. Um, there's a few things left to do, but on the whole, it's pretty much done. Uh, yeah. And Ark, what have you, have you been doing this week? Um, well, um, I have been mostly, since I am very bad at it, I have been 
learning some more C stuff and also speaking and also I have been working on utils and also the yesterday Dcat made a piece of made a pager called PG and so he wanted to get rid of it on GitHub so Booba on IRC and I worked it and now it is relatively usable. We still have a lot of things to implement. And currently compared to less it is 0.0136% of the code, and that's compared to OpenBSD's less. Ah, uh, not... So. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to definitely link that. I'm already interested. I'm all over that. I didn't see that linked. Okay, what I was... Um, you you finished? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what did I do this week? And I filled the database with more than 5 million rows. Postgres database. And um, that was quite a hassle. It was a long project about data mining. So I finally pu pushed it online. It took some time to upload. And I also learned about the difference between the environment variables, visual and editor. I didn't know about them. There's a command line, a utility, which is select, select editor. It, it lets you select the default editor. So I was like, what do you use when you, you open the default editor, visual or editor? Then ah, I searched. Yes. It, 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 it turns out that it's using the, the both of them. Yes, it, it depends on the situation. Not as clear cut as you thought it would be. Um, yeah, I, I read about that only this week as well, actually, thinking about it. Yeah, I wasn't too sure of the difference myself. Now yeah. I know. It turns out it's using visual and then it uses editor, depending on the situation and the program itself, because they can call like get env, the system call, to get the, the, the environment variables. So it depends on the programs themselves. Yes. So the, uh, so the uh, short answer is use both. Um, for a while, my editor was actually set to ed, and my visual was set to um, them. So. Did you, really? Did, was, was any program ignoring the visual and just going straight to editor? No. Ah, interesting. So pretty much use visual, guys. Don't use editor, even though visual is confusing and editor makes more sense when you think about it in your head. Well, the thing is, the actual, I believe the reason for that is that I think editor is designed to be set to a line editor, and I think visual is supposed to be set to a screen editor like Vi or Emacs or all that jazz. Visual could be a pager, I think. Yeah. Less. No, but then you would be using the pager environment variable, surely. Yeah, maybe pager should be pager. Historically, it may be for editor for printers. Like, you can't have a screen, you still use an editor. You print everything, you use that uh, at this time. It, it was a very long, very long time ago. I mean, currently, I just have editor equals vim, visual equals s editor, so. I mean, I, I just use, um, uh, NeoVim, pretty much for all of my everything, really, now. I use it. Uh, I've got a plugin that uses it as a pager. I pipe stuff into it using the standard input off a pipe. Uh, I don't really use less that much now. Just, just pump it all into Vim. Yeah. Okay. Anything to add? No, I, I, think, I think we're good, guys. Well, yeah. have a wonderful day, everyone. Say, say goodbye, everyone. Nice. Have fun switching this through. Yes. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, okay, bye.